Amen. And amen. You may please be seated in God's presence. Hallelujah. Um, yesterday, the weather just turned the curve, and uh, this morning it's very cold. And um, it's going downhill from here, so let's, <laughs> let's get ourselves ready. Um, uh, please dress well, stay warm. You don't want the cold to creep up on you. Next thing, you have a a chest cough or a cold, right? We need you healthy, and we need you safe. Amen. Um, so we are still on our series, The Gathered People. Um, uh, last week, we started the gathered, the conduct in the gathering, and we focused on the men. And uh, our anchor text for the conduct in the gathering is um, uh, 1 Timothy 3.16. 14 to 16. Today I'll be focusing on the women. That's part 9 of our series. In 1 Corinthians 3, 14 to 16, the Bible says, these things I write to you. So Paul is writing to Timothy, who at this point is the pastor and the leader of the church in the city of Ephesus. And Timothy is supposed to train and appoint other pastors, make sure the church is in order, then Paul will send him elsewhere. And Paul is saying to Timothy, he says, these things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly. But if I am delayed, I write so that you ought to know how to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of truth. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up in glory. And we said... Last week, the number one, the church is the household of God, which means that the church is the family of God. It is the place where the people who profess to be believers gather because that is where they belong. And I said that if you profess to be a Christian, you claim to be a believer, but you are not part of a local assembly, a local church, you are deceiving yourself because to be a Christian is to be part of the household of God. It's not just to say that it is in my heart. God does not save people in isolation. Bible tells us, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 30, says, for you by one spirit are baptized into one body. The day you were saved, you were baptized into the body as well. Are we together? And we also said that church is the pillar and the ground of truth. And we said that the church as a pillar and the ground of truth means that the church serves the function of defending the truth and displaying the truth. So we defend the truth and we display the truth. That is why as a church, we cannot sit by and let falsehood have its way. When we see falsehood, we must call it out. And I told you that that is why, as your pastor, I'm not afraid to mention names if I have to. Because we must call out and defend the faith. Are you together? Paul did it. He mentions names and he calls them out. When Peter, the apostle Peter went out of step, in the midst of all the people who were looking, Paul called him out. Because sometimes when you leave the error to foster, the Bible calls uh, er erroneous teaching, bad teaching, it calls it a cancer. You know, cancer sometimes, usually when it starts, it's localized. Then with time, if it's not taken care of, it, it spreads. And that is how... Um, bad teaching is. That is how false doctrine is. And as a church, we are supposed to defend it. 
whether it's, it is originating in the world or it is originating in somebody who professes to be a believer, we must defend the faith. Not only must we defend the faith, we must display the truth. And we display the truth by how we conduct our lives. That is why Paul was telling, I'm writing so that you will know how you must conduct yourself in the house of God. Because your conduct defends and displays the truth as well. And last week we said, I focus on the men. And the Bible says, so the truth that we are displaying is the gospel. The gospel, he summarizes it in, a, in the, the lyrics of a, a hymn that the church used to sing back then. He says, God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached on among the Gentiles, believed in the world, received up into glory. That whole framework that he's using is just a summary of the gospel. And we defend this truth by how we live. Are we together? So last week I focused on the conduct of the men. And we said that the men must be sober-minded. They must, they, that means you must not be given to alcohol. You must also think straight. You must have your head level. We said the men must be reverent. That means they must live lives worthy of respect. We said the men must be self-controlled. You must learn how to discipline yourselves, your appetites, your edges. You don't live anyhow. Men, we must be self-controlled. It's not everything that is walking around in a skirt that is yours. Are we together? Right? The Bible says that in Proverbs chapter 6, it says, By means of a whorish woman, a man is brought to a piece of bread. The, if you follow your edges and you don't keep them in check, your whole destiny is reduced, not to a loaf of bread, a piece of bread. Right? You become common, cheap. That's what the Bible is saying. It says the men must be sound in the faith. If you are in the church, we, we are not saying that you, you shouldn't work hard. Work hard. Make sure you can provide for your homes, but you must be sound in the faith. We don't want men with six-figure bank accounts that don't know what the doctrine of salvation is. They can't disciple their homes. They can't teach their families. Because as a, as, a, as, a, as, a head of, as a man, you are going to be the head of a home one day. And in that role, it is not for you to lift up your shoulder and say that I am the, I am the head of the home. No. You, God has called you with a responsibility to disciple. God told Abraham, he says, that I will... Can I hide anything from my servant Abraham, seeing that he will train his children's children after me? When God raises you up, at least there are two generations that you must disciple. Are we together? He says they must be sound in love, self-sacrificial love. They must be sound in patience, endurance. And not only must they do all of these things, the older men must teach the younger men to do the same thing. Are we together? That, they, that means there must be a consistent discipleship program. If we are part of a local assembly. And this is why you must be part of a local assembly. Because you see, as young, young people generally do not have wisdom. Right? Young people generally do not have wisdom. So you need the old to pour into the young. And that is why it is important for you to be part of a body like this. So that the older ones are pouring into you consistently. And you two are pouring into others. So that the young men, he says that they must set a pattern of good works. That means when we see the young people, we must see that, okay, there is a pattern in their life. They are living according to what they believe. They are moving in a certain direction. Are we together? Today I'm turning my focus and coming to the ladies. If I say something and you want to say, what about the men? Go back to last week's message. Every what about, go back to last week's message. <laughs> are we together? Because last week I dealt with the men, and you were clapping. 
you were happy. So when I'm saying something, number one, I want you to understand that I'm a messenger. It's the scriptures that we are explaining. It's not everything that the Bible tells us that we like. Are we together? Right? Ours is to take the truth and correct where we see the deficiencies. Turn with me to Titus chapter 2, 3 to 5. Titus chapter 2 from verse 3 to 5. So this is just after he has spoken about the older men. He says, the older woman likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanderous, not given to much wine. They must be teachers of good things, that they admonish the younger women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. Are we together? So the conduct here, last week, when we look at the conduct of the men, he said to the young men, when they show the pattern of good works, so that when somebody has something evil to say about them, they may be ashamed. And the same thing he's saying there, that when the women act right, so that the word of the Lord may not be blasphemed. So he's buttressing the point that your conduct becomes the defense of what you believe. The first thing he says is that they must be reverent in behavior. So like I, I did last week, I'm going to lump both the young and the women, to, uh, older women, to, younger and older together. Then we'll look at some of the character traits, right? Because what, whatever it is, it must be present in the older women, and the older women must teach the younger women. Are we together? The first thing he says is that they must be reverent in behavior. The word he uses here in the Greek is a very, very interesting word. It's a, it's a very technical word. In, in, in general, it is usually translated to live a holy life, Right? But in the technical sense of the word, it is the word that is used to describe the conduct of those who are priests or priestesses. Right? So what he's actually pointing to is that you're you're being made a woman, especially in the house of God, you have been called to a sacred ministry. It's not... It's not something we take for granted. We live in a world where people think they can they can switch anytime they like. So when you like, you switch to one side of the spectrum, another time you switch to another part of the spectrum. But how you are made is actually a calling. Are we together? And he says that the, the women must live a life consistent with the call of God on their life. They must live a life that is holy. That means if you are a lady in the gathering, when we look at your life, it must points to the fact that you are one who has been called by God, who has been given a mandate by God. It means that when we look at you, we should not be confused about the ladies in the church and the ladies in the world. There should, there should not be confusion. How you talk, how you dress, how you present yourself, we should not be confused. Are we together? In 1 Timothy chapter 2, from verse 9 to 10. 1 Timothy chapter 2, from verse 9 to 10. He says, in like manner also, this is when he says that, I, I, in the earlier verses, he says, I exhort men of all to live a holy life, to lift up hands towards God, to pray, not in anger. Then he comes to the women. He says that, I, in like manner also, the women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with propriety and moderation, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing, but which is proper for women professing godliness with good works. Number one, what Paul is not saying here is that the woman should not dress well. He's not saying they shouldn't dress well. That is not the emphasis. The emphasis is that, that first of all, 
we must dress decently and modestly. Right? When we, see, anybody who can see you knows you're a woman. You don't need to lead us and guide us to the fact that you're a woman. Right? <laughs> Some, sometimes, you, you see there, some people dress and the cleavage is, then they'll, they'll not just leave it there, then they'll shine it. Just, just in case you didn't see it, let's draw attention to it. <laughs> Hallelujah. Today, I, I told you by the time I finish this, thing, I'll be in trouble. And, and the kind of clothes that people wear. See, there, there are some things that, as a believer, you should not leave your house wearing. No, you should, you should not leave your house wearing them. Now, people say, oh, but it's my body. It is, it, I, 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 I can wear what I want. My body, my choice. No, it's not your body. First Corinthians chapter 6. The body is not for you, but for the Lord. So you, you, you just can't wear anything at all. You can't put on anything at all you like. Are we together? Let us be circumcised. He says, but the emphasis is actually not on clothes still. Even though, he says we must be modest, but the emphasis is that whilst you are looking to dress well, the greater emphasis must be on your inner man. When he says that they must not focus on braided hair and jewelry and all of those things, he's not saying they should not look. Me, when I have money, I pay for my wife to look good. Right? But, what he's saying is that don't spend all your life savings, all your resources looking good on the outside when the inside is bad, when the inside is rotten. Some of you, 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 you dress well, you come to church, you look nice, sanctimonious, we look at you, we even clap for how you are dressed. But inside, see, if we come and visit you in your homes and we hear how you talk to the people in your house, we'll run away. Some of you, when Paul said in first, when Paul said in Romans chapter 3 that the poison of vipers is under their tongue, he was referring to some of you. The way you talk, poisonous. When you speak, sometimes your husband is his whole day is ruined. Hallelujah. But that's that's what the Bible is saying. That he says we must present ourselves in a way that is consistent with what we profess. You say you're a Christian. First of all, we must see it on how, in how you dress. It's not that I'll say that this person is an usher in my church. This person is an intercessor in our church. This person sings in the choir. This person does um, uh, announcements in our church. Then somebody will tell me, Pastor, are you sure? Because when they look at how you present, how you dress, it's, it's, it's not matching. You, you look like the people in the world. There must be an intentional distinction in your life and how you present yourself. Hallelujah. The next thing that Paul says is that the woman should not be slanderous. Slanderous. This includes gossiping, by the way. Right. He says that we must not spend our time speaking ill of people. Some of you, you are information ministers. You have details about everybody. And the new term is, I've got a tea. People are baristas and bartenders. In your life. People, every, everybody's information you have. Sometimes, even when they bring, instead of sucking the gossip away, you, you add to it. Hmm. I even heard that, as for pastor, today I heard that he and his wife, they are fighting. 
Mm. Didn't you see after church, they didn't talk to each other and they just went home. Mm. The, the, then they are marking. Mm. It's like, Pastor, he wore this suit last two weeks, so he's worn it again. Mm. It's, like the, the, it's like Pastor's money is finished. <laughs> Thing, things are not going well. Today, Pastor's hair is bushy. I'm, sus- I'm suspecting that he and his wife are not talking because he was talking, his wife will correct it for him. Then they begin to add all kinds of things. See, let's not be slanderous. Eh? If you don't like somebody, you don't need to spoil their name. Are we together? The moment some, see, in this church, one of the things I want us to uh, cultivate is we should have a zero tolerance for gossiping. The moment someone comes to you with some information, it's okay. I, me, the first question I'll ask you is, have you spoken to the person? If you come and tell me that you have an issue with somebody, my first point of, have you spoken to the person? Give the person a chance to either say sorry or explain their point of view. Because what you are saying that the person did to you, maybe it was, it was something that the person did not understand. Next week, I'll take my time to teach on, next week I'm teaching on offenses. Right? How to handle offenses. Because it can kill you. And it's one of the, the greatest things that destroys a church in the end times, as Jesus spoke about. Are we together? So it says that the, 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 the woman in the church must not be slanderous. You know the interesting thing with the term he uses here? In, in the Greek, the word he uses here is the same word that is used for the devil in the book of Revelation. Right? When the devil is in the book of Revelation twice, he's called the accuser of the brethren. The word that is used there is the same root word when he talks about slanderous. That means whenever you make yourself the one who is gossiping in the church, information minister, talking about everybody, you have occupied the the work of Satan in the church. Are we together? So this is what we must avoid. The next thing he says, he says that the woman must not be given to wine. One of the things I am afraid of, that's my wife, I'm afraid of any woman who consistently drinks alcohol. Me, I'm afraid of them. <laughs> when I was dating and looking for uh, uh, my father, it was the one thing that I... See, eh, you go and meet a woman and the woman is drinking Guinness and you are not afraid. See, some of the men, you, you, are, you are very bold. <laughs> Me, generally, I'm afraid of people who are not afraid of losing their sense of judgment. Anyone who drinks consistently, it means that you are not afraid of losing your sense of judgment. Because the moment you are drunk, your sense of right and wrong is impaired. And you can't tell good from evil. I'm afraid of people like that. Because if you are drunk, I can't tell what you do to me. They'll tell you their mind, then they'll say all kinds of things. and say, Pastor, it wasn't me, it was the alcohol, your light, it was your heart. The, the, the alcohol just removed every inhibition that you had, every, every sense of propriety that you had, and it just released the true you. Are we together? So it must not be given. This particular instruction, it is given to both the men and the women in the church. Uh, someone will say, yes, pastor, but the Bible does not say we should not drink. I, 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 I will grant you that. I always say I will grant you that. The Bible does not say we shouldn't. Jesus turned water into wine. I understand that. But the Bible says we should not get drunk. And my question is, how do we get drunk? By drinking. Jesus' day, wine 
was the, one of the staple drinks that we have. Today, we have technology that has helped us prevent the fermentation of some of these things. If you like wine, go to the shop. There is the non-alcoholic wine, 0%. Buy that one. If you claim that, some, some people will say, but Paul told Timothy to drink a little wine for his stomach sick. The question is, is your stomach hurting you? Because, the, 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 and he even said a little wine. How much is a little? Is it one cup, two cups, three cups? Yeah. You said that, they said Timothy should drink a little wine, but you have finished, you have almost finished one bottle. Even if you were taking um, uh, stomach medicine, what was the dosage? <laughs> Hallelujah. But, but when Paul finishes addressing the, the older woman, he, he gives a specific instruction. He says, the older woman must teach the younger woman. Are we together? And again here, the, the Greek word is, is, is what we call a hapax legomena which means it occurs only one time, right? And, and it's a strange word because the Greek word for to do a noble thing is kalopeo. That means to do noble things. But he, he merges two words, right? And to teach is, is the Greek word didaskalos, right? There's the, it's from that word that we get didactic, having to do with teaching, right? But he merges the word. He says that he uses the word kalodidaskalos. That means they must train them to be noble in behavior. And, and the word he even uses for training is also a very strange word because it doesn't have to do with teaching like the way I am teaching you one, two, three steps. No, it says teach them by making them wise. Teach them by putting common sense in their head. Because sometimes, like I said, when it comes to young people, young people generally are not very sensible. It's because wisdom comes sometimes with experience and time. And that is why you need to be here. Because the Bible tells us uh, in 1 Timothy 3, 2 Timothy 3.15, it says that how from thy youth you have known the scriptures, which is able to make thee wise unto salvation. There is a wisdom that just comes to you by coming to church and coming to sit and hear the word of God. Amen. Hallelujah. So the first thing he says they must teach the younger women is that they must love their husbands. Somebody say love their husbands. When I, I, I first read this thing, I, I, I thought it was a very weird instruction. Because it's also because I was reading from a 21st century approach. Right? Because over here, we, in our time, we marry who we love. Right? But back then, people did not always marry who they loved. Because most of the time, the, love, the marriages were arranged for them. You were betrothed at a certain age, and then when it's time, you get married. And sometimes there is a tendency to be in a marriage and not love the person that you are with. Right? But Paul is saying that in the church, in this gathering, we love who we are married to. And that is the Christian injunction. Once you are married to the person, it's too late. Now, you must love the person. <laughs> Are we together? Another translation puts it another, uh, another way, which I, I, I like. It says, tell the young women to love their own husbands. Emphasis on their own. <laughs> on their own husbands. Again, emphasis on their own. Because sometimes, 
You can be in a marriage and love someone else's husband. Because you look at the way they are treating their wife and everything, and you're like, wow, I wish this was my husband. Then you are envying. Sometimes the single women who are not married, you've seen somebody's husband, and maybe the husband has come to tell you about their issues. Oh, we are having issues. Things are not going well. Where were you when I, I was younger? I wish you were there. I would have chosen you. Then your head is beginning to swell. That, see, as for me, I, I make him happy. You are chasing somebody's husband. I say, Pastor, you don't understand. I make him happy. He's not happy in the marriage that he's in. He's, he has promised me that he's going to divorce his wife and that he'll come and be with me. You are sick in the head. Hallelujah. This is why he says they, they must give the people common sense. See, some of these things, when you hear them, you think that they are far-fetched. There were, some years ago, my wife and I had a, a lady in our church like that. This lady was working in a, a bank, came across a, a married man, and the married man started telling her issues, stories. I have a, a case in, in my marriage. I'm, I'm planning to divorce my wife. When I divorce my wife, I'll marry you. This lady came to her, asked uh, my wife, and we were discussing, trying to figure out, like, no, we don't think this is a good idea. This lady even had the nerve to go and approach our head pastor at the time, to go and ask pastor's opinion. That pastor, see, he has promised to, to divorce the wife. You come for me. Love your own husband. See, ladies, someone's husband is not the answer to your prayers. The moment you are praying for husband and you open your eyes and you see someone and it, it even looks like a dove has def- descended on the person. There's light shining around the person. Once the person is married, that is not the answer. God is showing you something else. <laughs> Hallelujah. For me like this, in this church, I am no one else's prayer topic. Uh, I am, I belong to my wife. Finish. End of story. <laughs> Are we together? It says they must love their own husbands. Uh, so for the single ones, if once somebody is married, it's out of the conversation. It's out of the conversation. Don't daydream about him. Don't think about him. Don't have conversations with him. When, even if the person is counseling you or you are having a conversation about it, and the person, the conversation turned, bent a certain care, you, that is where you leave the chat. Are you together? That's why technically I don't advise people who are even married to have conversations with single people after a certain time of day. You see, darkness comes up with all kinds of... Uh, Encumbrances. <laughs> when, is the, when you read the book of Proverbs, the, the, the strange woman, the strange woman, she comes out when it is dark. She says that my husband has gone on a long journey. And you too, you think that you've got scholarship, you've got opportunity. Because he buys you nice clothes. He pays your bills. I know, it's a very big thing for somebody to be paying your bills, but reject it. Hallelujah. I didn't get the amen. I said reject it. Amen. The next thing he says that they must love their children. He says that women must love their children. You know, again, this instruction would seem weird, but with the time and the day we live in, it is not a weird instruction. Because we live in a time where the world has indoctrinated our women 
to be very self-seeking, self-centered, such that people do not value raising children, but they value their jobs and their career more than this. You see, the first institution that God put together was the family. And God is so concerned about the family because the family is the avenue where the images of God are produced. Are we together? So God is very much concerned about how the images of God are brought up, how they are nourished, how they are fed, how they are loved, how they are disciplined. Right? But if we do not love our own children, what we do is that sometimes we place career ahead of children. We place, we place even how our body looks ahead of children. This year, I've read so many weird stories. There was one that uh, my, wife, my wife showed to me that when I was reading, it was sad. There was a lady who locked a child in the house, went on a vacation, and came back, and the child was dead. You would think that there would be a maternal instinct that at least would have kicked in. But the Bible says that in the last days, men and, both men and women, it says they will become lovers of themselves. So there is an instruction. Love your children. If you know you cannot love them, don't have them. But if you plan to have them, then you must be prepared to love them. If you know you are going to get married, you must be prepared to love that person. Are you together? We love who we are married to. That is the scriptural injunction. That's why God told the men. He says the men must be sound in love. Self-sacrificial love. You must be sound in it, and the women must love their own husbands. Next thing he says is that they must be self-controlled. Self-controlled. They must have their desires, their emotions, their feelings in check. Young men, take this. I told you last week I gave the woman free advice. The men, I'm giving you free advice. Don't marry a woman who is not self-controlled. A woman who cannot control her feelings, her edges, just insult you, tell you anything at all. That you got me angry. That is how I felt in the moment. No. You must learn how to keep your emotions in check. Are we together? When you are angry and you are boiling, ask for time. Time out. Can I have some space? Can I go and breathe? And we'll come back and have this conversation. There is no reason for you to be insulting unkind, slandering. No. We must control ourselves. And it also goes to our, our sexual and emotional edges. Right? You must learn to keep it under wraps. Keep it under control. Some of you, the moment a guy touches you or puts his hand around you, you are in trouble. Hallelujah. I was speaking to some friends this week, and I was like, one of the things that pastors right now we struggle with is when people are single, we are begging them not to have sex with themselves, and they are having sex. And when they get married, rather, now we have to beg them to have sex. Right? But that, that, is, that is not supposed When we get married, rather, you have to love your husband's wife. The Bible says that we must not withhold from one another. I like that. The, the King James calls it due benevolence. This is what it means. First of all, he says it is due. That means it is what the person deserves. 
But he also has benevolence, which means it is an act of kindness. That means it is an act of kindness that your partner deserves. So you don't withhold it from them. Are we together? When you are, when you are angry, control yourself. Some of you get angry, then you wear jeans in the evening. I'm speaking to both married and unmarried. The unmarried, you learn from it. Married, you correct and change your ways. Right? It says they must be self-control. Sometimes you, you even have a lot to say, but the Holy Spirit is putting a gag on your mouth to keep quiet in the moment. It is not that you are not right. It is that it's not the right time to speak. Are we together? Because, you see, sometimes you can be right, but to, to have your way will destroy the marriage. To have your way will destroy a friendship forever. And I know you people have self-control because when you are in the office and your boss is annoying you, you don't retaliate. Because you know your paycheck is at stake. But because it's your husband, everything goes. Because it's your friend, anything goes. Are you together? Because it's, it's your pastor, anything. Pastor cannot talk to me like this. How can he tell me to do this? How can he tell me? Because I came to church late, pastor is talking to me anyhow. No. Self-control. Are we together? The reason I use myself as an example is I don't want to mention anybody's name. <laughs> There's somebody who have an issue with me after service. Are we together? The next thing he says that they must be pure and they must be chaste. They must be pure and they must be chaste. Here he's primarily dealing with sexual purity. Primarily he's dealing with sexual purity. In the 1960s, there was the wave of sexual liberation here in the North Americas. It was part of the second wave of the feminist movement. And, and it led to people feeling that they can do all kinds of things that they like. Have sex with anybody, do whatever they want, my body, my choice. And, and what, the, what people did not expect was the, the repercussions that would come with such an action. Because then, all of a sudden, they had, they, deal, they had to deal with unwanted pregnancies. Then, as part of a way to mitigate, they, they passed the Roe v. Wade law, where they, they legalized abortion. But you see, some of these things, they can be prevented. And they are easily preventable. The Bible says that we must abstain. There, you have no business, you, uh, men or women, you have no business having sex with somebody you are not married to. Are we together? If you have done it in the past and you are not married, don't say that because I've done it, you will continue doing it. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of repentance. Are we together? You see, there is a deep spiritual reality behind sex. The Bible calls, it says, don't you know that he who joins himself to a harlot is one flesh with her? Right? And he likens it to us being one spirit with the Lord. There is a certain union, a spiritual union that happens in that act. That God reserves for only those who are married. Because, because of how powerful that act is, it must be protected. And it is protected with the covenant of marriage. So that even if you are in that covenant, and, and even if you are not ready per se, and you end up having a child, you are, you, are, you are in a protected covenant knowing that you have somebody who would hold your hand in that journey. 
Not that you are, you are now uh, expecting a child and you're asking, what are we going to do? About, what again can we do about it? Are we together? Let us not be brainwashed by this world. People who have sex with everybody. At a young age, some people have had over 30 sexual partners. But when they are about to enter a relationship and someone, then they just reduce it to three. If, if anybody can do whatever they like, why are you reducing the number? No, if, if there should be no shame about it. Because, you see, the, the, the truth of the matter is that if you have too many sexual partners, it just means that you are not a self-controlled person. It just means that you don't value your, yourself. You don't, you, your, your value system is lacking somewhere. We live in a world where you ask people to get married. They'll say that, Pastor, marriage is a very big thing. But they are living together, having sex and everything. It's like, are you crazy? The, the most important things, rather, you are doing. Some people have even had children for people they are not married to. Then you ask them, okay, since they're children, let's get married. They're like, but Pastor, that's a big step. Getting married is a bigger step than having children together. See, you people, sometimes their the priorities and their thinking, I, the devil has done a number on this generation. That the priorities and the thinking is so warped that people think that to, to get married is a bigger deal than to have children. Do you know what it takes to raise a child up? Recently, I was reading an article. They said, when, when you raise a child, by the time the child is about seven years, the children have lost two, the parents have lost two years of sleep. If you add cumulatively, the parents have lost two years of sleep. And, and some of you, you have been left to do this thing alone by useless men who, who will not commit to you. Don't, see, ladies, I'm begging you. Don't make those mistakes. Your call to womanhood is a sacred calling. Because God has given you the divine privilege to be the channel through whom his image is born. Are we together? Uh, who say, oh, pastor, you know, sexual See, if you have done it, ask God for forgiveness. But if you have not done it, don't make those mistakes. See, people say it is nothing. It is something. When God wanted to come down on the earth, and he was looking for a vessel to come through. He was looking for a virgin. Imagine if Mary was not a virgin. She has lost that privilege forever. Will God have forgiven her? Yes, God will forgive you, but you, you will not carry the Savior. There are some things that will bypass you forever. These are sometimes the messages that are hard to preach to people because everybody wants to hear, oh, God will forgive you and everything will be okay. Sometimes God will forgive you, but everything will not be okay. Are we together? Because there is, some, there is sometimes a position, there is sometimes a job that God had in mind with you, but because you have done something, you have disqualified yourself. God will forgive you, he loves you, but you have disqualified yourself from that work. That's why he says, they must be chaste. Mary was not the only person in uh, Jerusalem at the time. I'm sure probably there was somebody who got thought about before, but this lady Two, two nights before Gabriel came to give the announcement, there was a guy that lied to her in the village of Nazareth. And the guy put her hair down. Then God says, Mary, you are blessed and highly favored. The blessed and highly favored, yes. But it was because she, too, she had kept herself. The younger woman says, keep yourself. See, one of the ways to, one of the easiest ways 
to eliminate men and find out who is good. When they come to you, just tell them. You, even if they have not proposed, just tell them that I'm not having sex till I'm married. It will, it will sift them out. Immediately, they'll start falling out. Before you add or any other criteria, you just throw this one out there for them. This one just immediately reduces the, the, one, the, the thinking that you have to do. If he says, yeah, but, you know, we must, we must test drive it. You are not a car. <laughs> are we together? You are not a car for somebody to be test driving. Because, you see, when we test drive, we don't always buy. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, when you test drive, you don't always buy. Sometimes you, drive, you test drive, it is nice and all. You enjoy the drive and all, but you didn't go home with it. Don't be the one that... So how many test drives will you do in this life? How many test drives? Everyone who comes to the parking lot to come and try you and go away. No way. The next thing he says is that they must be homemakers. Let's teach them to become homemakers. Your priority... Like I said last week, as a man, your priority should be your family. As a woman also, your priority should be your home. Are we together? Your priority should be the well-being of your home. As a woman in the gathering, the household of God, which is the ground where God is raising and grooming his image bearers, the home must be kept and maintained. The Bible gives us a series of instructions on what the what a homemaker or what the consummate homemaker looks like. Now, when we read Proverbs 31, the Pro- Proverbs 31 woman is the consummate homemaker. If you want to understand what making your home in the Bible looks like, go and read Proverbs 31. I'll read some portions of it. Then we'll look at it. Proverbs 31, 11 to 12. He says, first of all, the heart of a husband safely trusts her, so he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. That, what he's saying is that you, as a woman, as a young woman, you must be trustworthy. You must be trustworthy. Your husband should be able to commit resources to you. When they give you the, 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 the when he works, and they give you the, the money to maintain us, and they give you the resources of the home, we should not, we should not second guess what you do with it. Are you together? Not that they've given you money that should have gone to fees. The next thing we know, there is a shoe, new shoe in the house. Are you together? You must be trustworthy. It says that she does him good and not evil. There are a lot of men that have landed in, in trouble, in debt, that they are struggling to come out because they connected to the wrong woman. And you must not be one of them. Are you together? says you must be trustworthy with resources. The next thing he says about, about being a homemaker is in Proverbs 31, 14 to 15. He says, she is like the merchant ships. She brings her food from afar. She also rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and a portion for her maidservant. Well, that means that she is not lazy, but she is industrious. She rises up early. As, as a young, don't be lazy. Do not be lazy. 
every, every day you are sleeping. He says, she rises up. The, the Proverbs 31 woman, she's, she's an industrious person. Some of you, any time of day, we'll call you. What were you doing? Oh, I was taking a nap. No. She rises up early. She brings her food from afar. She also rises up while it is yet still night. And provides food for her household. The, the mark of an industrious person. When you, when you, some, people, some of you, when we come and visit, you will be hungry. Uh, no. When we visit you, you will be hungry. You lock yourself in the room the whole day, then you come out and kind of make peanut butter sandwich and go back. <laughs> Hallelujah. No. You must not be a lazy person. The next thing, all of this is under the being a good homemaker. Proverbs 31 verse 26. He says, she opens her mouth with wisdom, and under her tongue is the law of kindness. That means she speaks with wisdom and kindness. When she opens her mouth to speak, right, she speaks wisdom. When the Bible talks about wisdom, it's talking about where that build up, where that are able to do good things. Look at what it says, Proverbs 14 verse 1. It says, the wise woman builds her house, but the foolish woman pulls it down with her hands. Just under her tongue is the law of kindness. What are the words that you speak? I remember years ago, someone came to ask me, Pastor, what's the first thing you look out for when you're looking to marry a woman? I said, I look for a kind woman. They're like, do you mean somebody who is generous and gives to you? I said, no, you are, you are mistaking kindness for just giving. Because sometimes that's what we just do. When somebody is kind to you, even their choice of words when they are angry in a moment matters. See, if you have been addressed by a woman before as a man, eh, you will know. <laughs> you must marry somebody who is kind with their words. Somebody that even in, in, in anger, when they are upset, they are considerate. Because if you do not pick, Bible says in the book of Proverbs, it says it is better to live in the corner of a house than to live in a home with a contentious woman. That's what the Bible says. It says it's better to live like a spider in that corner than to live in a home with a contention. See, you, you will never, when you're coming home, BP, your heart is beating. By the time you are opening the door, you have to do breathing exercise. One, two, three. Before you open the door, that is, that is not the mark. Your, your, your husband, the people who live with you must be happy to come home. Not that when you enter the house, everybody scatters. Everybody hides. Everybody's running away. It's under her mouth. Some of you, your mouth is like pepper. Pepper. Painful. Those people, they don't talk plenty. They just pass one comment and your day is ruined. Do not be in a hurry to speak. That's one of the things I tell. Do not. Bible says be quick to hear. Slow to speak and slow to anger. If you know what you are going to say is not in accordance with kindness and will not be flavored by love, sometimes hold it. Hold it until you can say it well. Mm. Hallelujah. Proverbs 31, 28 to 29. He says, Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also praises her. Many daughters have done well, but you excel them all. You see, when you do these things, 
right? He says, your children will rise up and call you blessed. If you want to know whether somebody is good, just find out what people say about them. Don't, you can't come and tell me that nobody likes you. Eh, pastor, don't mind them. They don't like me. That's why they have ganged up against me. There's something wrong with you. If everybody has ganged up and no one, we can't get anyone to say something positive about you. So it says, her children rise up and call her blessed. That means the people in her, all these people are the people in her household. If the people in your home cannot say that you're a good person, then you, you are suspect. Don't come and pretend in church. Are we together? There are some people who will come, Pastor, can I hold your Bible? Then they'll be following you. Pastor, can I clean your seat for you? Pastor, can we do this for you? Can we help? How can I assist in church? Then you'll be looking at them. Then, then you say that they are very good people. Then you go and meet their husband one day. Then tell them, oh, this your wife is very helpful. She's a good person. And say, Pastor, are you sure? Pastor, are you, I, are you sure? They say, I'm married to her. Are you sure? But you see, if you are good at these things, says, her husband rises up and he praises her. Are we together? The, the last part, I'll end in this. This one, I, I need to do a little bit of theological explanation here. He says that they must be obedient or submissive to their husband. This particular thing raises a lot of contention. Because, like I said, with the third wave feminist movement, um, there's, there's there a certain idea that has been propagated that sub, if you submit to someone, it means you are less than. But that's not what the Bible teaches us about submission. Even technically speaking, just philosophically speaking, submission requires equality. Because if we are not co-equals, there is no point for submission. Are we together? We must first of all be of one essence before then submission makes sense. When God made Eve, he looked at Adam. He said it was not good for the man to be alone. So I will make him a helpmeet suitable for him. So whatever God was going to make was suitable for Adam. That means it was going to be in the same class. When Adam first saw Eve, his first words was, this is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. That means we are of the same essence. Are we together? What happens in the context of marriage is that in marriage, you have entered an institution. You have entered a body. And that body requires a certain hierarchy. And God has instituted a hierarchy where the man is the head of the home and the woman submits to the head of the home. It is not that the woman is less than. It is the hierarchy that has been put in place. Are we together? Okay. Some people are like, as for me, I can never submit to anybody. I will never submit to any man. Then don't marry. Right? Because when you enter into a marriage, you have entered a body. Anybody without a head is dead. Anybody with two heads is a monster. Are we together? In the church, there is only one head, Jesus Christ. We cannot say that we will not submit to him. And that the marriage union is supposed to be a reflection, a display of the union between the church and Christ. So just as the church has one head, the marriage has one head. Are we together? Secondly, what we must understand about this whole submission thing is that Jesus is not asking you to do something that he himself has not done. 
Because what you must understand is that God is three in one. Trinitarian in essence. Father, Son, and Spirit. They are all of the same essence. They are all God. The Son is not less than the Father in, in being God. The Spirit is not less than the Son in being God. They are all together God of God, light of light, co-eternal. They were not made. They had already, all, always existed. The, the Son is eternally begotten. The Spirit eternally proceeds from the Father, but they are one in essence. And in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, Jesus, the Bible says that, Let this mind be in you which was in Christ Jesus also, who being in the form of God, being equal with God, he did not consider his godness as something to, to struggle with. You see, when you struggle to show your position, it means that you yourself don't know your worth. This goes both ways. If you struggle to show your position as head, you don't know your worth. If you struggle to, to show your position and not submit, you don't know your worth. But because Christ knew his worth, the Bible says that he did not see his, his Godhead as something to, be, to, be, uh, to wrestle for. But he humbled himself and took upon the form of a servant. right, And submitted to the will of the Father. Because as the Son, he could rely and trust on the love of the Father. And that is what husbands we must provide for our wives. That's why the Bible says we must love our wives as Christ loved the church. So when you love the church, when you love your wife, your wife too is called to submit to you. The two are given as mutually exclusive um, instructions. What I mean by that is that he does not say when you love, you submit. He says you submit irrespective of the love. You love irrespective of the submission. Are we together? And we are called to do that. And ladies, like I said, if you know you cannot respect a man, don't marry him. One of the first questions you must ask yourself when a man approaches you and he wants to call you, can I respect this person? Because at some point you would have to, you would have to relinquish decision-making activities to this person? Can you trust his decision-making? You see, usually when we go and take jobs, our bosses are already there before we get there. This is the only time you can choose somebody to make decisions for you in your life. When you were born in your home, you didn't choose your father. But now you are not just choosing, you are, you are, at this point in time, you are choosing a father for your children. You are choosing somebody to make decisions for the family. This is the one time that you must use all your thinking faculties to make the right decision. Don't just go on looks. He has a six-pack. He has a nice beard. When he wears his kaftan, it's, it's neatly pressed. You are in for a ride. All right, together. Let me speak to the men briefly, then I'll close. Even though it's for the women, let me speak to the men briefly, then I'll close. Leadership in the family union, right, is forward-pointing and must be embodied. It must first of all be forward-pointing. That means if you're a man and you're the head of the home, we must see where you are leading us to. Forward-pointing. And you must embody the journey. We must see you so that we can follow you and submit to you. Are we together? In other words, it is prophetic and incarnational. 
you must show the way. Where are we going as a family? This leadership is not a dictatorship. It is not shut up and listen to me. You see, one of the marks of a good leader is to understand the areas where those under him are better than him. That's the mark of a good leader. That is why when we come to church on Sunday, I don't lead prayer. I don't sing. I'm not the same person sitting here doing everything. Because you burn out. And funny enough, I can't even sing. Are we together? There are times where you must know that, and those who are married will understand that there are times you know that this particular thing, your wife is better than you. And the mark of a good leader is to step back and relinquish control for a season. And let the one who is better at it lead the way. It does not take away from your leadership. It does not make you less than. Because God still sees you as the head of the home. Are we together? So don't be fighting. You must listen to me. You must submit. See, the moment you begin to do those things, you have already lost your position. Are we together? You must, you must learn. Because, you see, if you read the Proverbs 31 woman, all that she does, just the, the, the husband, see, the wife is doing all the thing. Oh. The husband praises her. But the Bible says on the outside, the husband is praised in the gate. The places where people are making decisions, they are praising the, the husband. And she's also, he's also praising his wife. Because even though he's getting the credit outside, he knows that it was my wife who was doing the work. There are a lot of the good things that happen in my life. It's my wife. And I'm not afraid to deny it. Right? It, it, it shows that the two of us, we made a good decision. She chose the right man. I also chose the right woman. Are, are we together? And, and, and this is how we are supposed to conduct ourselves. The Bible says that when we do this, the word of God will not be blasphemed. When you walk into a church and the men are conducting themselves right, and the women are conducting them. See, one of the, 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 the things we encountered yesterday when we, we went for our evangelism exercise, one of the things that someone shared with us in our group when we finished was that someone said they, they think that the church are hypocritical. Yes, we understand that the church is it's, a, it's like a hospital where we come in and we are being improved. But at some point, too, there should be clear-cut evidence that when people come here, they improve. When people come here, they change. Their lives get better. They are not the same person that they used to be. So that when somebody says, what was your secret? Oh, I am now a believer. I am part of the household of God. Right? Then they come and they observe their conduct. They observe their conduct. Like, wow, these people are different. And so what is the secret behind this difference? Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed in the world, received up into glory. The, the mystery of our gospel must be seen in us. Right? And as a church, I want us to begin to embody these things. We must embody them. No gossip in our midst. No slandering. When someone is speaking evil of somebody, you stop them. Our marriages must be, must be unique. Right? The divorce rate in the church is going too high. Our marriages must be unique. When we marry, it is still dead to us. But my wife, I've told her, you can't leave me. When you say you are going, me to unpack my bags and follow you. 
the moment we said I do, it was till death do us part. Are you together? We, we, will, we will die in this thing. Are you together? And that is how it's supposed to be. We must conduct ourselves well so that the word of God will not be blasphemed. Amen. 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 Let's rise to our feet and pray. I want us to pray for our young ladies and the women in the church. We are praying that God will give them grace to live exemplary lives. That God will grant all our women grace to live exemplary lives. There's, there's a lot of pressure in the world right now. And, 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 and some of the pressures of this world causes people to compromise. And causes people to live lower than the standard that God has set for us. And we are praying that we will not compromise, that our ladies will not compromise, they will live exemplary lives. Sometimes you are there, sometimes it's even the pressure to marry, and family is placing pressure on you. And now you begin to compromise, and sometimes you settle for the wrong person. We are praying that God will give us strength, strength to persevere, strength not to compromise, strength not to fall for the pressures of this world. In the name of Jesus. Malabalo shadabra, leka zalabadu sadabrenda kelevediaza. Rakashadaba Yandaba Rababazoates Leke Zelebedia Brandaba Rababazondo Kolobosha Labraba Kalaba Bradaba Yadababa Mande de Palua Zadabran Telebeka Paliosha Leta Ikapa Rababazon de Kelebedia Branda Zaya Mando Rababa Shadabakadi Fako Shadabranta Le zelebedia pranda kazala baraba bazondo koli abrende keliosha. Oh yes, Lord. Finally, I want us to pray. We are praying for ourselves as a church. We are praying for Rehobo Temple, and we are praying that in this church, our conduct will be a shining light that we would be an example to the world and to other believers. That when people want to know what it looks like to be a true Christian, conduct yourself in the house of God, they would say, go to this church, go to Rehobo Temple. These are people of God. These are men and women of God. You want to lift up your voice and pray this morning. You are praying for yourself, we are praying for the church. That Father, may our conduct be worthy of our calling. May our conduct be worthy of our calling. May we live exemplary lives, O oh God. Rema zota pa yadaba sheatas. La kapa rababa zonda ziyabaliada. Ma debelebe ketelebe diazandaha. Leko shadabrada ba yadabaha.